This podcast, The Two Mats, is sponsored as ever by the New European Newspaper. And we've got a very special subscription offer for you, a new one, where you can get a free bollocks to Brexit passport cover. That's right, you heard that right, folks. It's a burgundy, like vegan leather, beautifully designed passport cover. Pleather. To, to have pleather, that's what, that's what they call it, isn't it? Pleather. To hide your um, new British blue. The shame of the, the blue shame, The shame passport. of the blue passport. And you can get your free bollocks to Brexit passport cover free with a subscription to the New European from just £1 a week. So to take this fantastic offer, and trust me, if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love the New European, go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two, M-A-T-T-S, and there's a link in the show notes. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt and I'm joined here in the library in the bowels of New European Headquarters by two journalistic heroes, Jerry Scott and Steve Anglesey. Hello. Um, So today we're going to crown Brexiteer of the Week, as we always do, of course, and we will also take some questions uh, from you, our listeners, from the mailbag. Uh, But first, we're going to talk about the news, and uh, Steve, we should, of course, therefore say farewell to Tiny Tim Farron. We we are here in New European Towers. We, We share this with the... Uh, with the Eastern Daily Press, which is a long-established newspaper uh, in uh, in Norfolk, and uh, in the last year, three major political figures have um, given speeches to and met the readers um, upstairs. And now Michael Gove is the only one of them who's got a proper job. <laughs> uh, David Cameron and and uh, Tim Farron um, uh, were the other two. Um, so I think the rules are of that. One, don't call a referendum that you don't really need to call uh, unless you, you desperately want to stop being a Prime Minister. And two, don't become uh, the leader of the Liberal Party when you're not really that liberal uh, in the first place. Um, I do feel slightly sorry for Tim Farron uh, in that, you know, he's he's been... He has been hounded out of this job, hasn't he, by uh, for his religious beliefs... Um, 
conversely, it's not a job that Tim Farron should really have had in the first place. And if they, if uh, if the, the the Lib Dems hadn't gone down to eight seats um, in 2015, he, he probably wouldn't have had it. I think the list of people who were who were better than him, who were Danny Alexander, I think was the the man in possession, wasn't he? Joe Swinson, I think, will probably get it now and deserves to. Um, Vince Cable, Ed David, they're all, they're all better politicians than Tim Farron yeah. was. Um, I, I think, I mean, Tim, I spoke to Tim at the start of the campaign, really likeable chap, very um, easy to talk to, he gives you as much time as you need, he's very different from other political leaders, frankly, when it comes to his engagement with journalists. But I do wonder if um, really he should have kept his faith a little bit more private early early on. You know, in hindsight, I'm sure he believes it's that true. I mean, lots of political leaders have very deep faith. It's, I mean, um, David Steele, um, Charles Kennedy, both Liberal Democrat leaders who, who were um, very much Christian, um, but didn't make a big deal out of it. I think Tim Farron made a big deal out of it some years ago, mm. and it's come back to bite him now. Yeah. Um, do you think then... Um, Jerry, that being religious and being a political leader are two things that can't can't meet. Are they incompatible? I don't think they're incompatible, but like you say, he made a big. It did make a big deal out of it, and which you know he's perfectly entitled to do. Um, but some of the views that Tim Farron seems to hold, because he can't answer a straight question on them, don't sit with a lot of you know people's opinions for the modern day and. You, uh, he's perfectly entitled to his religious opinion, um, but it's got to be understood that maybe if that's not the the kind of will of the general public, that that's not going to go down well with voters. I think as well the fact that he, he said it was, you know, the, his faith was deeply personal. And lots of people's faith, of course, is deeply personal. But he had given interviews to magazines about abortion. He had, yeah. you know, it's, which he said, I think he said was wrong, didn't he? I mean, I think he that was the the word that he used was yeah. it, 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 wrong. Yeah, uh, which was with a, a Salvation Army magazine, um, and of course, you know, he then voted. He then abstained six times uh, in, in votes on on abortion. You know, his, his voting record on gay rights is probably better than a lot of people's certainly better than the, the, the Prime Minister's um, if she still, still is the Prime Minister by the time you're, you're hearing this obviously um, but it is still uh, you know in terms of attempting to protect people who by their faith did not want to marry or serve uh, uh, gay people um, it, he's still out of step with what the, the vast majority of people think I think yeah, um, I mean, that isn't to say that the the policies that he put forward were seemingly tainted by that, were they? I mean, he he stands by his voting record, and you say there are some holes in it, but um, but the the manifesto was fairly progressive. It doesn't seem to have stopped um, the policies that Lib Dems have been putting forward. It doesn't seem to have tainted them. But it's him, really, isn't it, as a leader that was tainted by his beliefs, Jerry? Yeah, I think it was. It was. I mean. I, I agree with you, the manifesto, it didn't, you know, scream of views that people weren't, well, some people, but weren't necessarily going to disagree with. But it it's difficult, I suppose, when a leader um, has those views and how do you separate the two? And I think voters especially would find that very difficult to do and that's why he's maybe had a bit of a push. OK, so farewell, Tim. Um, any tips for, for the next leader? Uh 
I would say, I mean, Joe Swinson, I would I would say. They're desperate to have a women leader, I think, yeah. the Dems. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, also, she's really good. You know? Jerry, anyone apart from Joe? I mean, in, in my part of the world where, where I am, I know we're uh, thinking about Norman Lamb. Um, he's, you know, big name in the Lib Dems. Whether he wants it or not, who knows? He did go up against Tim Farron before and lost. Um, but who knows if he'll go for it this time round. It was quite close, though. It wasn't... It, it was it wasn't no, no, it was, it, yeah, it, wasn't a, um, it wasn't a giant margin by any means. So I think uh, Norman, he did throw his hat in again. I think Norman probably will throw his hat in, but, um, but I don't think he'll win. I think Joe's, uh, Joe's nailed on. And would be, you know, would be a younger alternative, wouldn't she? I, I think she would look reasonably fresh. Yes. Um, well, she's 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 had some time to rest, hasn't she? So she she's been well. She has been well. She's been on the bench. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's let's change completely to the other end of the spectrum. Someone hanging on when they probably should go. Um, Theresa May has had another strange week. Um, just. Uh, just most recently she's gone down to the scene of the horrific fire in London, a terrible tragedy obviously but has managed to not meet any real people there either Steve Well I think she's I, th- I mean a lot of things are Theresa May is no longer, no longer in control of the narrative is she she doesn't own to what happens to Theresa May anymore and she clearly felt or her handlers clearly felt that if she went down there the the anger from local people uh would be uh she she would become a focal point of that um she did obviously have time to to pose with the firefighters proving that she is still a politician but she the narrative is no longer Theresa May's uh, to manage and she is she she's at the mercy of uh, all kinds of people she's at the mercy of obviously uh, her closest advisers, uh, she's been made to sack. Um, she's been able to sack a couple of other people's favourites in retaliation, but she's had to sack the two people that were closest to her. Um, she's had to accept uh, somebody coming in to help her who probably wouldn't have been her first choice, but uh, lost his job as a result of the lacklustre campaign, uh, election campaign that that, uh, that she spearheaded. Uh, and she's been pulled one way. She wanted to sack Philip Hammond, obviously. That isn't going to happen. Uh, and she wanted to march in there threatening hard Brexit. Uh, who knows how that might have turned out, but that is no longer on the table. Do you think that um, the most powerful man in government now is actually David Davis? I mean, I know that he um, he was one of a number of people, but I think he was the spearhead Um you know that demanded the heads of, uh, yeah. of of Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill, um, and I'm told as well demanded that you know that certain jobs that Theresa May wanted to reshuffle were indeed left exactly as they are. Is he the most powerful man in government now, Jerry? Do you think? I mean, well, could be if um, you know if that those that Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill had been been with Theresa May right from the Home Office, hadn't they, and had come right through with her, um, as far as I'm aware, mm. and. If if he if he did you know make that order and have them sacked, that's that's a big blow for her, isn't it? And it does, I think, undermine her authority. But the Tories are just using her as a as a human shield. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are. Now, she yeah. is useful, actually, isn't she? When you you know a week back from this time last week, we were talking about she might not make the end of the day. Actually. The very sensible thing to do is to keep her in place until until the fallout of Brexit, and then then stab her in the back, and then blame her 
for the um, you know for the for the storm that will undoubtedly engulf the country when uh, when Brexit is is through. Yes, and and obviously that is to to do so to do that you need to have somebody of the the vanity of Theresa May. Uh, <laughs> To to not do a Tim Farron and walk off the stage, and there there is clearly still something uh, in Theresa May which says I could turn this I can turn this around. My narrative can be one of somebody who suffered a terrible defeat, uh, built a, built a consensus, or was dragged along with a consensus. But she said would say that she she'd built one, learned her lessons, and delivered a successful Brexit, and then went back to the polls in three or three or four years, five years, um, when the dust had settled. And she must still believe that. I think all of us know that that is a hugely unlikely scenario. Um, but and that that shows that you know she is a she is a politician. She is she is vain. She doesn't want to walk away. Um, I think it's very useful that the Conservatives have somebody. The Conservative Party has somebody like that at the helm for the Conservative Party because I think there's there is no doubt, even despite all the reservations about Jeremy Corbyn, which I think some people still have and we've talked about before on these podcasts, that if there was a general election tomorrow, next week, next month, before Christmas, the Conservatives would lose and Jeremy Corbyn would be the, the Prime Minister. Absolutely. Um, well, we've not got a great deal to say about Jeremy because he's be, he's he's probably quite cleverly keeping quiet. He's just standing back and letting Theresa uh, uh, dig an even deeper hole for herself. I think I think that is the plan. Although we are expecting something of a reshuffle, and there was a slight bit of tinkering um, last night, wasn't there? Um, but something interesting, interestingly, just before we finish with the news that I've also heard this week is that the Tories are indeed reaching out to Labour a little bit, or certain certain members of the Tories are to try and get some consensus on Brexit and the 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 word this is a direct quote that was given to me was we quite like to share the blame yeah um Jerry what do you think about should should Labour just let the Tories um you know take take the full blast from Brexit or do you think that they they should get involved as well do you think they can do you think they can ignore that invitation I mean it's not the case that every um Labour politician is a Remainer by any stretch of the imagination, is it? So so I don't know if they should let them take the whole fall or not. I think if it was if it was me in that position, I, I think I would just to teach my lesson. But um, whether that's the case or not is another matter. There may well be some Labour politicians that want to get involved, but I think I think they'll sit back and watch it, watch them flail, to be honest. What do you think, Steve? Uh, I think that, in fact, we've had a. This reminds me of a reader's letter, which we'll, we'll come to in the in, ah, in the excellent. in the next section, which which is which is actually uh, which is actually from from somebody I know, uh, John Horsley, uh, who was one of the first people to send us uh, to send us a, 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 an email uh, asking questions, and he said, "What do you think Labour wants strategically? What should they want?" Should they hold on and watch the slow motion car crash happen? Um, obviously, if they get in, they they really need to do Brexit, uh, which is quite unpalatable. And then there's a reader's letter, which I think might be the lead letter in the New European, which comes out this Friday, um, which was from a guy saying the Labour Party must resist the urge to sit on their hands and do nothing uh, and make the Tories own Brexit uh, because... The, the consequences for the country are so uh, are so huge. 
if they don't. Um, um, and and, and I, I, yeah, I, I think that I actually think that they need to get involved at this stage. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a grand um, national coalition with all the parties combining uh, into a single platform. But I do imagine that there'll be some cross-party stuff. Um, I, I think it would be an easy thing to say you wouldn't get involved while we were trying to sort this out. OK, well, let's leave the news there. We'll get on to those readers' letters next. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Your first 13 issues of The New European are only £13 when you join us and become a subscriber. Order by telephone by calling 01858 438840 and quoting Podcast One. Or order online at our website, www.neweuropean.co.uk. Stay angry. Fight Brexit. Subscribe to The New European. Welcome back. Um, Now, this is exciting for us because we asked for uh, you guys, our listeners, to um, send in some questions, and you've actually done that, which is is superb. So we mentioned John Horsley, who Steve had sent a question to you. Do you want to take up his question? Um, Well, I think... So I think personally, I would what I would really I would really like to see Labour doing what I, I suggested and getting involved in a, in a in a non-formal way. I think that the Theresa May's cabinet are going to drag her uh, a bit towards the to, towards a softer Brexit anyway. Um, but I think that there are some things which um, which Labour need to do. Uh, which will not be palatable to uh, the Conservatives and they need to start um, uh, agitating for or explaining for. And I think probably the best, um, rather than me stumbling over this explanation, probably the best explanation is containing a really good uh, thing that Abby Wilkinson has written for the paper which comes out on Friday, uh, I'm really, I'm absolutely delighted to have Abby Wilkinson uh, back in the in the New European, uh, where she is talking about the need to move, uh, the need to move the the national mood on uh, immigration and the benefits of migrants, uh, something that Jeremy Corbyn spoke very passionately passionately about during the campaign, and Keir Starmer has spoken about that as well. And I think people, uh, if Labour are going to win on this and this is going to be a card then we need to we, we need there a, a mindset change is needed uh from from some people clearly if we clear out an awful lot of uh eu workers in our health service for example the health service is going to survive around this area in east anglia now we've revealed our secret location to the readers <laughs> uh, a loss of um a loss of temporary migrant workers uh, over the summer is is, is uh, or over the, the 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 sort of the harvest period is going to be disastrous for farmers. So we need to we need to alter um, labour need to alter people's minds on that and show that it is not just about the uh, abysmal scare headlines that you've seen on the front of the Mail and the Express. Okay, thanks, uh, Steve, for that. Uh, the next question is coming on Twitter from someone called Salty Harumph. Now I presume that's a foreign. Foreign name of yes. some description, uh, but it certainly sounds exotic. Um, and the question is about tactical voting. Uh, how much difference did it make? And indeed, how many people actually did it? Well, in the New European, we, we printed a guide to, to how you could use your vote tactically to try and 
kick out a uh, a hard Brexiteer and and uh, and make sure we had as many Remainers as possible. I'm not sure how much difference that made. Um, Jerry, what do you think? Did people use their vote tactically? I think a lot of people did, and obviously the one in the New European was the best one, but there were guys for tactical voting all over the place. I I saw so many different ones for different reasons, um, you know, lab- well, mostly Labour ones, to be honest. <laughs> but I think that because people didn't expect <clears throat> Labour to do as well as they actually did... A lot more people were drawn towards a tactical vote. Um, it's difficult to say whether that paid off and that was part of the reason Labour performed better than we expected, but I think more people were considering tactical voting than maybe have in the past. Steve, did people use a tactical vote, though, for Brexit reasons? That's a difficult one to say, isn't it? Um, obviously, the Lib Dems did have some successes uh, off the back of... Uh, angry remainers. Angry remainers are definitely a thing. Uh, no matter how many, how much people like Jacob Rees-Mogg might like to pretend that they yes. they weren't a thing, uh, we'll come on to him in in, in a moment. I imagine. Um, but uh, but look, the, I think that the, there was a poll taken about a week before the election. It was by the Commission for Electoral Reform, or whatever they're calling themselves nowadays. Uh, that said that 20% of all the voters, so one in five people were planning to vote tactically. That is fairly huge, if true, as, as they say <laughs> on, the, on the internet. Um, uh, in some places, it really worked. Uh, Brighton Pavilion, obviously. Uh, Bath, uh, obviously, in some places, it didn't work. Um, Vauxhall, you know, uh, the, the sort of the pro-Corbyn surge kind of neutralised efforts for people to uh, to get Kate Howie out, which I think is an enormous shame, um, and uh, near near uh, near my summer residence in um, St Albans, uh, two really um, two really good uh, candidates there, uh, a really good Labour candidate um, and a, who was the MP, and a really good Lib Dem who came second last year. Both uh, sorry last time, both stood again and split the vote, and they let Anne Main. Uh, continue, which again is a really great show. So it didn't happen all over the country in the organised way that it would be. I think Better for Britain, St Albans and uh, Vauxhall were two of the the ones that Better for Britain was particularly targeting. Um, But I think it's a thing. I mean, one in five is is a huge number, isn't it? I think it's so difficult to to measure across. But yes, I mean, anecdotally, I think that lots of people did um, vote tactically, whether that meant holding their nose and do it, or, or just doing it on the back of uh, wanting to to get the softest Brexit possible, um, is difficult to to quantify. Anyway, on to the next question. Um, this is from Brian Isaac, uh, again from from Twitter, um, and he asks um, that given that Labour picked up votes from both Leavers and Remainers, uh, seemingly. Um, last week, what should Labour's stance be on Brexit? How do they marry those two, Jerry? Um, well, it, I, you know, I mentioned a minute ago. I don't. It's not. It's not new, is it, that there are big swathes of Labour who are Leave voters? I mean, it's an interesting one with Brexit because it is a something that completely divides opinion across all the parties. Um, what should What should they do? I think all they can do is try and meet people in the middle. To be honest, to try, like we've already mentioned, to make it not such a hard Brexit if they're going to get involved. Um, 
But I mean, what else can they do to marry those two factions up other than other than kind of take the average? Is it a case, Steve, that they could go after a softer Brexit because of workers' rights and things like that? Yeah, and I think that's something that um, I think that's something that Keir Starmer and Corbyn, uh, when on the few occasions when that, that Corbyn did mention Brexit on the campaign trail, that seems to go down very well. It's really worked well for, for Keir Starmer. It is an important, a very important issue. The benefits of workers' rights, human rights uh, that have come from the the EU um, have been massively. Uh, understated I think so I think that is a really uh, that's something to hammer home obviously in the next few days they will they will try and um, and uh, make a, a, a very strong case for uh, people who are existing uh, EU migrants in Britain keeping retaining their rights and existing Britain British migrants in the EU uh, retaining their rights but I, I imagine that that will just happen anyway I think that'll come out fairly quickly out of the first few days of negotiation so um, so yeah but I think hammering workers rights human rights and then and getting back to this stuff of what has the EU ever done for us which I think we know is a considerable amount despite what Paul Dacre thinks well it's done quite a lot for Paul Dacre quite actually <laughs> and, and, his, and his small holding yes very yeah, very much so. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us and send a question, then use the hashtag TNE Podcast on Twitter. You can email us as well. It's letters at theneweuropean.co.uk and we'll get to some more questions uh, perhaps next week. Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back. Um, after a, a hiatus last week, Brexiteer of the Week returns um, and Steve is here to tell us all about it. Well, the, the Brexit area of the week is something that we do every week in the, in the New European. Uh, we, I, I go through the most stupid and idiotic things that Brexiteers have said and done uh, over the past seven days. Obviously, no shortage of candidates for this uh, in any given week. This week, particularly rich pickings. The theme, I think, is... Uh, of the precious snowflakes from the Brexiteer side who now, faced with the loss of their beloved hard Brexit and maybe the loss of their seats and their dismal campaigns in the election, no matter whether they're from the Tories or UKIP, uh, have, have turned into uh, the, the, the sort of whingers uh, that we have been branded for the last um, 11 months, which is great to see. <laughs> Crispin Blunt, uh, many people will have seen him. He's the Conservative MP for Rygate. Uh, you might have seen him on election night saying that the people had got it wrong. Uh, some people, you quote, some people say the electorate never get it wrong. Clearly they have got it wrong, so it was all uh, your fault. Uh, <laughs> they kind of got it wrong twice. Yeah, they? exactly, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, we saw uh, Katie Hopkins, obviously, uh, who, uh, who has uh, said that the young are cynical and narcissistic. And they voted purely uh, out of self-interest. That's because they didn't vote in the way that Katie Hopkins wanted them to vote. We've had Robert Sims, who's the Tory MP for Poole, who called somebody a dickhead. Oh, sorry, a dick, just a dick. 
uh, on Twitter because he uh, didn't vote for Robert. Uh, and then we had uh, Godfrey Bloom, who is Nigel Farage's old flatmate, an old uh, reasonably uh, Buffton Tufton type uh, from UKIP, who has spent uh, a lot of the last few days calling for um, the uh, for votes to be stripped by anyone who doesn't have a job uh, and doesn't. Uh, and, and so and he, he wants votes removed for those, for those, and I'm quoting here, who suck permanently at the public teat, uh, which is an enduring image, isn't mm. it? The other theme uh, of the week is just to pretend that nothing has happened. Uh, Jason, Jacob Rees-Mogg uh, tried that one. Uh, he wrote an article for The Telegraph, uh, which was headlined, uh, and I'm quoting, this election was a tacit tacit endorsement of the Prime Minister's Brexit strategy. Uh, so whatever it was, that election, I think cluster is probably the, uh, the, the, the closest uh, that we're going to get, but... Um, but uh, it was not a tacit uh, a, a tacit endorsement of the PM's Brexit strategy, Jacob. Uh, but number one, uh, and the Brexiteer of the week, and, and I might be saying this for the last time, is a guy called Roger Helmer. Now, if you've listened to this podcast before, you will be familiar with my uh, deep regard for Roger Helmer. If you've not, Roger Helmer, until this week, was the UKIP uh, MEP for the East Midlands. He was also the UKIP... Um, spokesman on climate change or the environment uh, which is quite remarkable given the sort of uh, climate change denying views that he holds uh, Roger has had to step down from the, the EU Parliament for unspecified reasons. At the same time, we find out that um, that he is uh, being um, investigated by the EU Parliament uh, and he might be asked to repay about £100,000 um, in funds uh, Roger has, we think, has paid these to a guy um, called Paul Oakden, who is his assistant uh, at the EU Parliament. It says in the rules that you're not allowed to be a EU parliamentary assistant full time and hold a job with a recognised major political party. Uh, Paul Oakden, at the same time as being Roger Helmer's assistant, was the chairman of UKIP. Now, there isn't a great deal to do if you're the chairman of UKIP nowadays, is there? Where they've got not many members, very few councillors, and all their MEPs will be out in a couple of years anyway. And of course, they've got no uh, MPs. But it turns out that he was uh, actually employed in a, in, a, uh, in a job with UKIP. And so... Uh, but entirely coincidentally, and for completely different reasons, Roger has stood down. Um, please look up Roger Helmer. Um, please look at his Twitter feed. Look at his website. He uh, is, I would say, endearing, uh, but his views aren't very endearing. But um, but he's the kind of guy who gets into an argument on Twitter when somebody described the sea under climate change as becoming more acid he said uh, that was wrong and it should be referred to as becoming less alkali. <laughs> uh, and uh, and only, uh, only last year he wrote a large piece on his website about uh, his desire to escape from uh, Christmas. Uh, I'm going to get away from Christmas over the festive period this year. What did Roger Helmer do? He went to Bethlehem for Christmas, where, bizarrely, he found that Christmas was quite a big theme uh, uh, regarding the local boy made good, Jesus Christ. So Roger Helmer is Brexiteer of the week. Uh, I will say, as has become traditional, Nigel Farage, it was Donald Trump's birthday, 
On Wednesday, Nigel Farage tweeted a picture of himself holding a tiny bottle of Trump champagne <laughs> under the caption, uh, Happy birthday, Mr. President. John Kennedy got Marilyn Monroe pissed in a low-cut dress singing <laughs> Happy Birthday to You. Donald Trump gets Nigel Farage fully clothed, thankfully, holding a tiny bottle of sealed champagne. This is what has happened to modern politics. <laughs> okay. So Nigel Farage, a complete f***ing idiot. Oh, Steve. That was the New European Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, the paper is out now, and it's uh, an absolute cracker, so please do go along and buy a copy. Um, check us out online as well at www.theneweuropean.co.uk. Uh, if you like the podcast, please do go onto iTunes and, and give us a rating and leave us your comments. Until next week, thank you very much. <laughs>it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.